Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Uncomfortable Conversations. You know that you're in the right place if you like to say the things that other people just don't want to say. And as you may know already, I'm your host, Lisa Schmidt, success mentor for women who want to create an epic life or business on their own terms in a way that feels good to them. So today I have somebody that is paving her own way and creating a life on her own terms. Marcy Resnick. She is the soulful, swear word loving, metaphysical junkie, <laughs> crystal healer, and blogger at magicalmaven.com. The blog is awesome, by the way. <laughs> In this space, she pushes the envelope while peeling back the layers of the human spirit to speak about the things that people find awkward and difficult. So basically, we're a match made in heaven. Welcome, Marcy. Thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. <laughs> you know, we, we, we had about a 15-minute conversation before we started recording here. And, um, you know, one of the things that I really love about this podcast is I end up being drawn to where people are drawn to fill out, you know, a guest form. And I don't do a pre-interview. And I just really go by, like, that gut feeling of, like, this is going to work. And, you know it really is going to work. I mean, and we are sort of like on that same level in a lot of ways. Sure. <laughs> and, um, but I wanted to ask you to sort of, you know, give a little backstory about yourself and talk about how you came to start writing your blog. So I have journaled, um, you know, most of my life as a little girl writing in diaries and always purging every horrible, nasty thought I had about my family, about people, about kids at school. And so I always kept journals. And um, what I didn't really, um, what I didn't really realize is that when the journals were not in my presence, they were being read by somebody who um, shouldn't have been reading my journals. And from that experience, it kind of shut down my wanting to write. So um, probably from like, I don't know, maybe like 12 or 13 was probably the last time I was writing. And then when Facebook happened, I started to plug like little things of writing and um, it just kept growing and growing and the more silent I became, the more I heard, almost like I was channeling from spirit. Mm -hmm. Like I would wake up and I would have serious, profound messages. I mean, half of the shit that I would write on Facebook, I couldn't even tell you where it came from. Like I, sometimes I have no clue where this comes from. You know, I'm not, um, I'm not college educated. I haven't taken courses in all the stuff I talk about. I'm not a life coach. I'm a manicurist, you know, so there is definitely a source coming through me um, when I write about stuff that's not personally happening to me. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, so, and if anybody gets a chance um, to read Marcy's blog um, at magicalmaven.com, you will see it's interesting because, you know, I follow very easily the way that you write because it's just, you can tell it's, it's very heartfelt and very soulful. 
But the thing that, you know, the grammar Nazi me picks up right away is, you know, a lot of no capitalization and right. um, those kinds of things. But it doesn't bother me because I get it. Like, I feel it. I've had people criticize me, not in like a negative, you know, Debbie Downer, like, what the fuck are you doing kind of way. But I've had people say to me, seriously, like, you need to really go through and write. And then I feel like I'm censoring myself because when I write, I put music on, I've Led Zeppelin going on or whatever it is, the song that is like spitting my soul for that moment. And then I start to write. And if I go back and correct every single thing that is a mistake, the authenticity of what is coming from spirit through me is gone. And then it squabbles everything that I have been put here to release out and say from spirit. That's what I think. You know what I mean? Right. And you have to stay true to your own voice when you're, when you are the producer, right? You know what I mean? You're the one that's putting that information out. You're disseminating it and wherever it comes from, you know, right. I, to me, you know, like I said, I don't like, I feel it. I get it. And you know, it took me a minute to kind of, yeah, like, it's, it's, you know, some people it's taken them about 20 minutes to get it, but no, yeah, I have my own like, language. I'll throw out words. Well. I had to get your flow. And then like, once I got your flow, I was like, I can read in her flow now. Right. Right. Um, but for me, it was more about like tuning into what you were saying, not the fact that your I wasn't capitalized or that there wasn't a period or a comma or whatever. Right. Um, and, you know, I think that, um, you know, when somebody would say to you like, Hey, you should go back in and, you know, maybe throw a few commas in or whatever, you know, that's them, right. You know, that's not you, that's just them sort of seeking a little more, um, better packaged, you know, perf more perfect version in their mind anyway. Right. You know, like, and then it's, it's unfortunate that a lot of people don't see the beauty in something like that. And, and try to like put it in this little box that fits for them. I think that's people in general, though. I mean, people can look at somebody physically and point out all their flaws on a whim and completely be disengaged from the actual beauty that is radiating out of somebody. And that is a pure example of my writing. It expresses divinely exactly who I am from every level. If you were to see me on paper, you could say that on paper, my life looks really sucky and that I have done some sucky things or, you know, oh, you've been divorced twice and remarried for a third time and two kids from two different people. And, you know, my, my paper might look really, really, really bad. And if you were to only look at what you're looking word-wise, you are going to miss the whole experience of me. And so, you know, I guess kind of it really represents who I am, you know, wholeheartedly on so many different levels. And the funny thing is, is that I don't have to clean house for it. It cleans house for me. If people can get stimulated by my magic, then they definitely deserve to be in my presence. And if they're so focused on 
the stupidness that they feel they need to shove me in, then they don't deserve any of my, you know what I mean, of my creativity. So it's kind of like if you can giggle and be like, I have people who I've known since nursery school and they're Marcyisms. Like they know that's just me. I've always been this way. It's not like I woke up one day and was like, ah, you know what? I'm not going to fucking capitalize or give periods anymore. I don't know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's always been me. I've always done it. I've always spoken my own language. I make up my own words. I use words that have no reference whatsoever. And somehow, I'll make even the smartest person question whether or not that was supposed to be there or not, even though they know, because I can pull it off. Even though, to some people, I might sound like I have no clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, um, when I was reading through your blog, it, it, it's very similar to like what you're saying now. You, there was um, a post about speaking spiritual and seeing so many people speak spiritual, yet their application of, Arf. of what that means or what that actually looks like is, what it's, <laughs> right. and I don't even like to use the word supposed to, but what it's supposed to look like, um, you know, it comes across in this very egotistical way. And again, that goes really back to sort of putting people in those in those boxes and um you know and it's yeah and you actually use the word barf in the posts <laughs> and um you know do you find i mean how often do you really run across people i mean i see that quite a bit in in so many areas you know through social media oh my god i see it all the time i see it all the time i see it all the time and you know what it's like i don't need to dress in a white robe with a turban over my head and a bunch of beads around my neck and go to yoga every fucking day and want to sleep with the yoga instructor because that's so spiritual too you know i, I you know you see it all the time i subscribe to me I do me. I'm a blue jean t-shirt. I don't fucking care what I look like half of the time, as long as my lipstick looks good. You know, even <laughs> my husband laughs at me because I'm the type of person that I'll walk around and if my blue eyeliner from the 1980s that I still wear and I will never give up is smudged on my face, I don't really fucking care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm not... I'm not trying to look and be something to fit. I did that for a really long time, you know, and it doesn't work. It does not work. It makes you sick. So I... Well, emotionally, spiritually, on a soul level, it makes you sick. And I don't think a lot of people realize... I think even physically, you know, those... Well, yeah, it manifests in that way. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the outward view right, right? Like but look take a look around i mean i'm you're i um heard from a blog you're on the east side okay so on the west side over here you see more people who suffer from ailments that they shouldn't be suffering from if they could just fucking admit their truth be honest be authentic get rid of half of the bullshit in their life and they wouldn't be needing to pop every other pill while they're sitting in a yogi pose you know, yeah, it's to give everybody a frame of reference when she says East Side West Side. I know this has come up before when I've had um, people that are local to me here in the Metro Detroit area. Uh, we're talking about um, north of Detroit. When, when we talk about East Side, West Side, East Side is 
like um, more of a blue collar sort of lifestyle. And West Side is a definitely wealthier, more white collar type of lifestyle. And there is like literally almost like a physical dividing line when you talk about like like roads even. And and people will say like, um, I don't think it's, East Siders kind of will travel around, but like West Siders really stay in the bubble. And they, if they have to cross over like specific mile roads in their head, I'm one of those. I live, I moved out of West Bloomfield um, when I got divorced the second time. I was like, that's a wrap. Drop the mic. I'm fucking out of here. And I went West. And so I'm actually, we're like the border of um, Wall Lake, Novi, Wixom. And so I hate crossing Orchard Lake. It's like, I don't even, I do, but I don't even want to. I try and avoid crossing. To me, Orchard Lake, anything east of Orchard Lake is just too east for me. I like the quiet. I like my side. I don't even like coming out to West Bloomfield when I'm not at work, you know. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's very true for a lot of people. Those, those, those roads are real defining of what they're not going to cross. And that's like the West did the, in the East. It really is. And it's interesting. And it, you would, you would have to really live here. I don't even know they could ever be right to understand yeah. it, but maybe, I don't know, maybe in other States they have it. Like maybe in other places they have it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, when you talk about like, you know, I've heard other people in, in certain, you know, cities talk about a, a north side or a south side, or if you live, you know, west of this or east of that, you know. Um, but it is interesting because, um, you know, I have friends on both sides of the tracks, to, you know, so to speak. And, you know, but there is, there is this sort of like um, enlightening happening in the world and has been for, you know, several years now. And I don't think that, you know, when you sort of are someone like who you are, who is not going to really be defined by lines or boundaries or whatever. I don't think it really matters where you live though. No, because, uh-uh. no, because you know, you're going to, um, your words are going to hit the right people when they need it at the right time. And, <clears throat> you know, and, and you can do that from your, um, chair as a manicurist or your blog or on this podcast or wherever. I don't, I don't think it matters. No, uh-uh. No, people, people travel. You know, I, when, um, when I decided to, I started like three, maybe like either three or four years ago. Um, I started going to Ferndale once every month. I joined the Detroit Tarot Guild. And so I would go there for Sundays and, you know, I really don't trust people. I don't trust people who tell me that they're spiritual and they, um, ooze everything unspiritual about them. So I never went to, uh, you know, learn a lot of things because I'm so, uh, cautious and aware of, you know, stuff that prevents me from going. And so at the Boston Tea Room, I would go there because I really like the owner and I really, she's the um, taro. She's like the one that leads the, the guild for the Sunday. And so that's like kind of what started restoring my faith in people who say that they are something. You know, like her, 
her words really for me matched up. And then another time I was looking for therapy and it wasn't, I didn't want like, you know, what we think of therapy. I wanted like spiritual therapy. I mm -hmm. wanted someone to work on me in a way that would, that my soul would be able to divinely connect so well and not by someone sitting in a chair with her clipboard, you know, taking notes and, I, that doesn't work for me. Well, and, and that's the thing, you know, um, in this life, in every aspect of our lives, if we are not aligning ourselves with people where their words match their actions, you know, there, there's always going to be a disconnect. And, you know, we're sort of, it's sort of ingrained in us to, um, especially as women, like to be the champion of other people to, um, so almost in a way to like, help others before we help ourselves, right? Like help them find their way, try to fix them. And a lot of times as women, when we meet people like that, you know, there's a part of us that wants to fix them or show them where they're wrong or teach them where they could be better or more quote unquote, right. Um, yeah, I was like that my whole life. I literally, I like sold myself to the devil. I did everything for everybody else. I was everything to everybody else. Even though like the threads of me was always the same. You know, my girlfriend and I, we laugh to this day because I somehow have this reputation and I really, I'm like so far from the reputation that has been given to me by whoever, and her and I laugh about it because if people really knew, like really knew who I was, it wouldn't match whatsoever, you know? I think part of my reputation stems from the fact that I say whatever I think and however it's gonna come across. And if it happens to start with a couple of fucks and end with a couple of fucks, and that's where they perceive me to be like, you know, oh, you know, that's not a really nice Jewish girl. She, her mouth is foul. Well, okay. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's funny how people, people see you and you play into it, you know. Well, they, they see the version that is most comfortable for them. For them, exactly. Right? Exactly. So, um, you know, because people... You know, I think one of the most overused sort of thought processes in any relationship is where people get frustrated and they think like, why doesn't, you know, this person just get it? Why don't they understand me? Why don't they get me? And, you know, one of the things that is a huge thing that I find that I have to undo with a lot of clients is you don't deserve to be gotten. And people are always taken very aback by that because they think like, isn't that like a basic, you know, human thing? Like people, Oh, it's not. And it's not because you're not entitled to be understood. You have to be, you know, very comfortable with who you are. You before anyone else has to accept the fact that this is who you are. It's perfectly 100% okay to be the way you are. And even if that oozes outside of the box a little bit, don't apologize for it. Don't try to fit into a mold because of it and don't edit who, you know, who you know yourself to be because again, that makes it more comfortable for someone else. So, you know, it, it's, it's always so crazy to me here, you know, for me to hear people say like, well, 
you know, my husband just doesn't get it or my, you know, family just doesn't get it. And I'm like, who the fuck cares if they get it? I'll tell you something. Before we got on, you asked me about the story of my husband and I said that we would talk about it on the, on the podcast. So in lieu of what you're saying, I, when I got divorced the second time, I really had to take a look at myself. I had pointed the fingers at other people and blah, blah, blah. You know, that's your ego and, and what you do in order to get up out of the bed every day. And I really had to start taking a really fine look at myself. And I began to do a lot of things that maybe other people couldn't do, wouldn't do, shouldn't do. You know, I started to date myself. I would take myself out to a bar and I had to stay there for more than an hour, but it had to be less than two. There was no talking to other people. There was no like, you know, trying to get a guy to buy me a drink. It was enjoying me. I had to learn who the fuck I was outside of being a wife that I felt I had failed horribly in and who I was unattached to my children. Because in truth, I don't own my children. They are not extensions of me. They are their own individual. And I facilitated their spiritual, uh, you know, avenue to come here. You know, that's it. They don't owe me anything, nothing. That is, was such big work for me to do. And by the time I had really done all the work and I had gone through some medical issues with my neck where I had to crawl out of that hell and through all those things, I could see who was sticking with me, who wasn't sticking with me. And I remember one day sitting outside and I was having like, as a Jew, a coming to Jesus with God. And I sat outside, I was living in my apartment, I had two pennies to rub together and I started writing. I said what I wanted, what I didn't want, and I burnt it up, and I was like, so be it. Whatever it's going to be, it's going to be. And two weeks later, my husband, Iran, who was living in Israel, saw a picture of me on Facebook and messaged me, and that started this um, divine guidance, this gift, this universal soul twin flame. I don't, whatever you, however you want to label or whatever box you want to put it in. We both, for the work we have done, were gifted the experience. But that experience came with a cost. And it, I had to decide what that cost was going to be in order to obtain it. And you know what? In the end, I had no problem cutting ties with people who couldn't get it and couldn't get on board. And I was done apologizing for being me. You know, my mom used to say to me, um, she couldn't figure out because of the amount of times that I had been hurt, that love had failed me, that my heart was hurt and blah, 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 why I wasn't broken, why it didn't break me, you know, and I'm a lover. No matter what, I truly believe in the constitution of love. And I, for every heartbreak, my heart only got bigger and it allowed more capacity to fit in it, which it should because when Iran showed up, there was so much love. I think if my heart was never broken, it probably wouldn't have fit correctly. You know what I mean? You might not have believed it. Uh, yeah. yeah, especially... <laughs> 
especially, I mean, who would, you know? So I think, well, you I know, think that's the larger problem with people in general is, correct. is, you know, everybody, you know, there's so many sayings out there, like believing is, you know, seeing is believing or, um, you know, it, but at the, at the same time, it's this weird dichotomy because people want to believe in, um, some sort of divine intervention, whatever you believe that to be, you know, you might call it God, you might call it Allah, you might call it source, you know, you might call right. it, you know, right. your, your grandma, right. You know, um, whatever it is. It, and it's weird because people want to believe in something and they forget number one, obviously that you have to believe in yourself. Correct. Right. So, but you know, if you take the outside parts of that, you know, out of the equation and you just give yourself an opportunity to have a little bit of faith, whatever that means to you, it really does you know, you know, it, that's just reminding me of when you were saying, you know, like if I would have just said like, you know, this broke me, you know, I'm broken. I'm, I'm unlovable. I can't love someone. Um, you probably wouldn't even have responded to his message. Right. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, what, and you know, it's funny in the beginning, I tried to like, sh you know, like shoo it away like tell him, <laughs> you know, and he he refused to allow me that pleasure because I think he knew, like when I first met him, we had this um, un, uncanny connection to each other. I mean, he was 13 and I was 21 and him and I were, I was living in Israel at the time and I was working on a kibbutz, living on a kibbutz and I was in the banana fields and my first day I was introduced to this beautiful boy who on a soul level, I was so connected to. I mean, right off the bat, it was just like instant friendship. I mean, it was so easy and natural to be with him, even though I was nine years older than him. You know, we just, it was one of those things that um, is, is a rarity in people. And I was very unaware yet very aware of how, comfortable and loving it was to be in his presence and we would sit at the dining table in in the banana fields looking at each other not speaking four words and having a full-on conversation you know so when he came back as an adult all that like picked up and more you know what i mean so it's, it's a kind seed of, that was planted it yeah yep Exactly. I had to leave this country, go to that country. Of course, I was like on a Wizard of Oz path, Wizard of Oz path there, never following. I don't know what yellow fucking brick road I was on over there, but I was skipping, singing, you know, drinking and having fun. But that seed, you are so right when you say that. That seed was so planted that when I was literally like rebirthing myself and coming out of this shithole hell that I had gotten myself into and finally made it up where I could feel the light and smell not just like the bad earth anymore, but like my earth again. That's when he came back, you know? So it's kind of funny if you're not plugged in or if you're not fully aware of what's going on around you, you miss shit all the time.
Well, and I think that's a huge issue for a lot of people too. And you know, um, for someone like myself, I think sometimes I can be a little too plugged in and, um, you know, so I, you know, for me, it's not about dialing it up. Sometimes it's more so about like dialing it back, right? Like not everything needs to have your attention and it, it, it really is, you know, um, I shouldn't, I don't even want to use the word struggle because when you sort of get that part of, you know, who you are under control, it, it, it really is no longer a struggle because you automatically sit up and pay attention to the things that actually need your attention, you know, like the bullshit. And right. when you talk about like cutting ties and how that's okay, you know, that's another thing as human beings we struggle with because we're taught to be connected to our family and our closest friends and you know, we're supposed to make friendships and, you know, we're supposed to, supposed to, supposed to, supposed to have all of these things. And it, you know, there's this subconscious part of us where it just feels really unnatural to say like, you know, I don't like you anymore, or I don't like this situation and I'm going to be done with it. And, you know, throughout my lifetime, I've had so many people say to me, you know, how can you do that? Like, how can you just stop like that? is like, you know, not even a part of like even your peripheral anymore. And I'm like, because it doesn't, it's not good. Right. It it doesn't serve me. You know, if if the mailman is a jackass, you know, whatever, you know I mean? It doesn't matter who you are. I don't care if you're, you know, family, friend, coworker, random stranger on the street. I just, I don't have time. You know I mean? That's you, you're interrupting my joy. Right. And I just, you know, and, and maybe that sounds cold to people and, you know, whatever, call me a bitch if you want. But to me, it is, it's all part of self-care and it is making me always, you know, want to be better. I think for a lot of people when they exhibit and and I've got like those quotes with the fingers in the air, self-care, you know. When you, in return, do your own self-care, all of a sudden they're offended or they have a problem because, you know, I think that self-care is so prudent to our survival because there's nobody else that's going to do it for you if you're unable to do it for yourself, you know? And I think that we... I don't know if it's like a Jewish thing either, but we, we Jewish people have been brought up as, you know, mensches to always take in. Your home is always open. And, you know, it's, it's like there's that need to take care of everybody, like the typical Jewish mother. Well, you've got to cut some of that out if you want to preserve yourself because that is like part of the self-care. And I think it's funny that, you know, especially with people who are your family or your friends or whatever, they can put a boundary up for you. But when you in return put a boundary up for them, all of a sudden it's like a double standard, you know, or they don't like the way that it looks to them. Well, it's like when you, it's like turning the lights off in a room, right? Like somebody's like, Hey, I was, I was, I was reading. Right. I was watching that. Why did you change the channel? You know? Right. Right. Um, And it can seem very abrupt to someone. And you know, even if they've had like 20 warnings of I'm turning the light off, 
you have, I'm turning the light off. First, it's a whisper, you know, I'm going to turn the light off. And then by the 20th time, you're screaming, I'm fucking turning the light off. And then the light goes off and they're like, what? What, what happened? Yeah. What do you mean what fucking happened? Where have you been for the last year, asshole? Well, and, you, know? And, you know, and that's the thing too is, you know, um, when people do see the change, and it, 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 it's actually not change more times than not. It's usually growth, as you're saying, that happens over the course of months or a year or whatever. But, you know, when... Nobody in my family, really, I mean, there are a couple people, but I'm going to say this in a generalization. I don't think that my family was prepared for the growth, my change, my boundaries my love for myself and when i put all those up and started to recreate and redefine and rebuild it was a very huge problem for a lot of people to be able to digest because all of a sudden i wasn't allowing it anymore and i had my husband who was encouraging me and standing behind me and in front of me and on the side of me, you know, he was, you know, he was protecting me, but he was also encouraging me in the same moment to really stand up for myself. And he required of me to be my own Joan of Arc. And I had to be because nobody else was going to do it for me. And so I think a lot of people, it's very difficult when you change they're not changing with you. They're incapable of changing. And that's why relationships fade away. And that's why relationships end, even when it's family, you know? Well, and in your family too, you know, one of the things that you, you know, talk kind of openly about is adop- adoption from that adoptee yeah. point of view and finding uh-huh. um, yeah, yeah. your biological family. Um, mm-hmm. Now, do you have a relationship with your biological family? Okay, so yes. So I, that's what I'm curious about is like what the difference is in okay, how, so, you're, how you're sort of quote unquote accepted by the two different families. Okay, so I grew up always wanting to know. I was extremely curious. I don't know if it's because I'm a Scorpio. I don't know if it's because I'm just me. But I have always had the need and the desire to find to find whatever it was that I needed to find that was going to quiet my soul, that was going to, you know, uh, lick and heal those wounds that are left on us as human beings from things that happen, you know? And so I was um, living in Israel and I had my daughter Shazaf. And I remember when she first came into the world, it really turned back on that desire to search. When I moved back home, that was one of the first things I did was open my file and it came up blank. There was nobody looking for me. And, you know, even though it felt at that time, like not even a smack in the face, but like a kick up the ass, like still 27 years later and no one gives a shit about me. Are you kidding? I kind of put it to rest. And then I remember getting a phone call from my dad, my adoptive dad, my dad, saying um, that this woman from Oakland Services had called me. And he said, I think it's about your adoption. He said, I think it's about your adoption. 
And I called her back. And I remember being at work in a salon in the back, starting to like sweat and cry because she was telling me I have good news and bad news. You've been matched. The bad news is, I'm sure you probably, as a, as a girl and as an adoptee, always thought it was your mother. It's not her. It's actually your father. And throughout my life, I always would have these conversations with my mom. I never really had them with my dad. And now, all of a sudden, I was going to have to have that conversation that I felt I needed to have with my dad, even though I don't really need to have that conversation. But you, you're made to feel like you do, like we're doing something wrong by being curious. You know, that's just my feeling. And so that was the beginning of my journey, is that there was a man who lived in the state of Washington who had been searching for me since the moment I was placed up for adoption. And Did he um, know about you? He knew about me. Him and my biological mother, Chris, his name was Jack. They were boyfriend and girlfriend. They were engaged to be married. I really can't speak for them because they are both deceased, so I'm not quite sure about the whole story. But I know that um, she got pregnant, and I think somewhere along the line there was a miscommunication. I think there was a lot of emotions. And somehow she was at this point living in Washington, and she ended up coming back to Michigan. And what Jack believed, what he told me when I started my first relationship with him, um, when we first got matched together, was that she, like, disappeared in the night. She was just gone. That her parents were ashamed and embarrassed, and that's what she told him. And that she packed up her stuff and she came back to Michigan. She was put in the home for unwed mothers through Crittenton in Detroit, you know, and uh, I was given up for adoption. And to be quite frank, I really believe that I was not a thought to either one of them, you know, like out of sight, out of mind. And so my first lesson was, was that this man had spent a lot of time, um, you know, really trying to find me, which hurts, but it's such a good feeling to know mm. the power of my small little seed was something. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and, you know, naturally, when a child thinks of, you know, an adoptive child, I mean, I can only assume, I mean, but speaking from, you know, just a child's perspective and, and a woman, especially when you have that closeness with your mother. Um, and when you, you know, you grew up obviously in a home with a mother and a father, but wanting, you know, it's only natural. I would think that that would be the draw. Like, you know, your mother with this, this person that you came from, this person that, you know, gave birth to you. And, and as little girls, that's the woman that we look to like whoever our mother is in the home. Right. So, naturally you would think you know and you now as a mother you understand the bond that you have with your kids and if anything would ever happen you know for me it would be like i would go to the ends of the earth to find my son right um yeah. mm -hmm. so you, you know i guess we probably make that assumption that it would be the same on the other side like she'd be the one searching you know what's so funny i was having this conversation with somebody you know growing up in my home 
I was allergic to everything. And I was just saying to someone like a couple weeks ago, and I don't remember if it was at work with a client, with a friend, I don't remember. I just remember saying, I really think I was allergic to my environment. I mean, I was so sick all the time, all the time until I went to Israel when I was um, 20 and then everything disappeared. Oh, it's, I mean, it's possible. But if you look at it like energetically, when I think about the energy of everything, you know, I had, you know, I could go into it about my parents, but I really, you know, I really. Something was pushing you to change where I, what you, how you were existing, where you were existing. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, I, on an energetic and on a spiritual level, you know, maybe I was so sick in my environment because maybe it wasn't the environment I was supposed to be in. I don't know. You know, as an adoptee, it's like they do those studies on those whales when they take the, the killer whales from the pod and you can hear the mother whale yes. screaming and the sound that they, um, that they can record mm -hmm. is so paralyzing to listen to when a baby orca is taken from the water. I mean, when you think about it, energetically, when you take a child from its mother, you know, I can't imagine energetically what that does. You know, does that make sense? No, I, it, it's, an, it's imprinted and, um, you know, on a, yes, definitely on an energetic, very soul level, it, it, it does sort of. So I think for me personally, you know, I have two brothers that are adopted and I'm the only one that has made it like a mission to solve the equation, to figure out on a mindful level, on a physical level, on a spiritual level. Like I have done all the work I've, I have, you know, discovered, I have the majority of the answers I feel I need you know, or needed to be able to heal from it. Although I don't know if you ever really heal, you just learn to live in that normal space of it. You know, there are things that I learned that, you know, make my heart scream. There are things that I know that, you know, I sulk in, in, in heartache about, but it's like I have all the answers because I started that quest, that path, which I think, you know, for me, part of, who I am is, you know, that, uh, that need to connect, you know, that, that desire to connect. I think that that's just, that's part of like the reason that I'm here and maybe why I was given up for adoption to inspire. I don't, you know, there's, there could be so many rhyme or reasons on a universal level why it happened, but, um, well, that's your job in this lifetime to sort of figure that out. Right. 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 <laughs> and, you know, and, and be okay with it along the way. And, you know, and, you know, I've, I've had, I have several friends who were adopted or adopted, you know, children and, you know, everybody sees it differently. Exactly. That's why I'm saying like, for me, some people you know, could care less. They right. Don't. My brothers up until now, I can say have really not done anything. Could, whether they care or they don't care, it's never been fully expressed. I, on the other hand, have gone a completely different route. So there's people who, who feel, you know, that they don't need it. And then there's people who feel that they do need it, you know. 
And I have a friend who his whole entire life has absolutely had no desire to even like know their names, where they lived, anything about his biological parents. He, and he did, he had a really great life and his sister was adopted as well. And, um, he just will say like, this was my mom and dad. These were the people that raised me. I had a really great life. She made the choice that she made and, you know, put me in the position to be that I'm in. And I have no desire to go back and question why. Wow. For him. That's you know, not me. He, Do you watch uh, that show? This is us. Do you watch yes. that show? Okay, so I just started watching it because I had a couple clients that told me that I should watch it. And so my husband and I are, are only on episode four. And Oh my gosh, you're like not even in the thick of it yet. No, 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 no. But watching, watching the gentleman who's adopted unfold before my eyes, I feel like I'm watching me. And I cry every time in happiness that they're finally displaying a healthy role of this desire that I feel I've been isolated and alone in, you know, of wanting to uncover the mystery, you know, the magic behind me. And watching this guy on television portray this role is so endearing and so delicate and real. And I mean, the shit that he says and does is how I have behaved in the journey that I took back when I was 27 in discovering who the fuck I am and watching him unfold, even though I'm only on episode four, I'm just so thankful that somebody finally is doing something that shows, because there are a high statistic of adapted people in our universe, yeah. you know, and it shows it in a way that makes it not taboo or shameful or, you know, ugly for someone like me and like this character to need, to need on a soul level answers that only somebody else can give us, you know? Right. And like you said, you're only on episode four. So you're in for quite a roller coaster because there was a lot that happens. My husband is like, <laughs> I mean, we have to be in the right frame of mind, you know, and I'm very much, you know, I, I'm not like a crier crier. I just have like a lot of water running down my face. Like I'm not like, a, <gasps> you know, like a choking on my spit or whatever. I, I don't cry like that watching the show, I'm just, I, my eyes are just constantly wet and, you know, it's heavy and having him watch me because he was here through a lot of stuff that I uncovered and some really wonderful milestones and he's witnessed a lot when it comes to this adopted shit with me. And um, I think him watching me go through it, sometimes he feels the pain because he sees the pain. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we have to really be in like the right state of mind to sit on the couch and plug an episode in. <laughs> well, as we wrap things up, I kind of wanted to end on um, something that I read on your blog. And it really just struck me because, um, I, well, I found it interesting because, you know, obviously I got the reference when you were talking about 
the Grammys and, and when you were talking about, um, I don't know if it was a separate blog post or the same, but talking about Millie Vanilli, right? So huh? there was this post you did when you, you know, you, when everybody sort of back in the nineties, when we all realized, you know, that they were like these big fakes, right. And, right. and they were lip syncing the whole time mm-hmm. and, you know, and then you sort of segued into talking about, you know, you watching the Grammys and realizing that a lot of these people that are, you know, standing up there accepting awards, um, that they're just average, right? Right. And they're being supervised and sort of puppeteered by the people that actually deserve the awards because they're the one like designing this person, right? You know, it's the right. stylist, it's the manager, it's whatever. And, you know, you said that it got you to thinking about all the people in general that we ignorantly elevate, right, out of misconception. Correct. Who don't really deserve recognition or to be on a a certain platform. And the people that are far more talented or perhaps have, you know, better things to say, right, they get overlooked or purposely overlooked because they're people, and you know, you didn't say it this way, but the way I sort of interpret it is because people are sort of scared by what their real magic is, what the real potential of that, that electric part of their personality is, right? Because people say like, she's not, she's too heavy or he's not good looking enough. So it's not sellable. Right, right. They, they, they can't market truth. Some truths are unmarketable because of the packaging that it comes in, you know. Do you really think that if the pharmaceutical company would put seriously all the warnings of what really does happen and how many other medications you would have to take in order to counteract the medication of that one and showed you pictures like they do with drug addicts of here you are day one with meth and here you are day 14, would somebody really take it? It's the same thing, you know. People are... Um, are too afraid to really appreciate the the packaging of how something comes if it doesn't stimulate what we've been required to receive as stimulating. And I I think what what the the best part of it that, and I'm going to quote you here, and I thought this was like amazing, it's you said, I can only imagine the fear behind the mediocre people that have been molded into super beings that are one drop away from being found out. Yep. And, you know, I thought about that and I thought all the people out there, you know, the posers, the fakers, and and I don't think it matters. And I I don't, this doesn't have to be specifically about the music industry, but there are people that are found out all of the time and they do live in that fear. Like, is somebody going to find out that I really didn't write this or that I'm really not the, the idea person behind this, or I'm not the brains behind that. And what a heavy, heavy, heavy load and how fearful of a life that must be. Um, Do you know what's really funny? Not to interrupt you, but on that specific thing you just said, I have always written my own stuff. And people used to say, did you really write that? Because they, the way I'm packaged is, you know, I struggled in school I graduated with a 1.79. I think I failed every class possible of failing, even gym for a big <laughs> mouth. You know, I sucked 
at school and I was labeled and you know when I was a little girl they wanted to put me in uh, um, like in the special ed program and my mom was like absolutely not then you're gonna destroy her and you know so it was like I didn't read until I was in third or fourth or fifth grade I mean I struggled and so when people read my stuff they don't really think it's me because how could I accomplish something which I said from the beginning of this um, podcast I really believe a lot of it I channel from spirit like from, it comes from somewhere within me but it comes from somewhere and you know it's like if 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 somebody who was in the um, you know in the in the um, spiritual book writing would slap their name on it you know like a during virtue or a um, Deepak Chakra, whatever the fuck his name is, or whatever, <laughs> you know, it would be, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he really wrote that. Oh, yeah, now, you yeah, know, yeah. and because it's coming from me, you know, it's like questionable. You, did you really write that? Yeah, motherfucker, I did, <laughs> you know? So it's funny because I really do think that the mediocre people who come up with bullshit, I mean, they are one drop away from having their life destroyed because they've been riding on the coattail of somebody else. You know, I can't imagine. That must be so scary. Well, it's like taking somebody who's wearing a cast and then just automatically taking their crutches away, right? Like now walk. Right. You know, walk. But half of them, I don't even think that they really <laughs> have the formula to create what they're being told to do. They're more, they're well, just they're not told. They're just said, you know, people say to them, you know, be here, do this, say that, wear this, um, you know, this is where you're supposed to show up and this is what you're supposed to do. And some are book jackets, well, just in, book jackets. In, you know, and sandwiched in between there, there, there's no substance and they're not really allowed to speak for themselves or think for themselves maybe outside of those situations or they can't because yeah. it doesn't match up to what they're supposed to be producing, you know? Well, and I think that happens in a lot of areas. Um, oh, and in a lot of things I see it. I see it in, uh, you know, I see it in relationships. You can take a couple who you look at and you're like, you can't figure out how that ugly girl could land such a beautiful guy and you can't figure out the relationship because the packaging doesn't fit our aesthetic, yeah. you know, uh, programming. And they have a really good marriage. And then you have two people who look really good together. And then there's nothing underneath. And he's out fucking, you know, whoever. And she's out fucking whoever. And yet, you know, their perfect house and their perfect vehicle and their perfect clothing and their perfect jewelry and everything looks so perfect in the most unperfect way. So, it, I mean, it's everywhere. I just, I can't imagine living like that. No. And, you know, and I think that that is why a lot of people will stay in marriages that they probably shouldn't stay in and have relationships, not just, you know, you know, the marital type relationships, but just relationships on any level with people that probably aren't good for them and um, they can't be found out about. Well, yeah. You know, and it's, I, it's just funny cause I just put out a blog post today talking about, um, you know, these things that are sort of ingrained in us and, 
you know, and, and people don't realize that, you know, when you think about what you, what we're taught to believe, like what our belief systems are, like we believe we're supposed to grow up and go to college and, and, and then get married and, and have babies and still have the career and then maybe give the career up because you're going to stay home and raise the kids or whatever. Um, you know, we get caught up in, in, in that and many other things along the way that, you know, we do stop listening to our own voices and we are so like stuck in that, again, that box of what we're supposed to believe and what we're supposed to do that we don't question things anymore. We don't think for ourselves really anymore. We kind of go on these automatic groundhogs day sort of lives. And then yeah, we're just, we're, we're, um, we're doing the motion. Well, right, I'm not right. Right. Most people just go through the motion from the time that they wake up in the morning to the time that they go to bed. It's just, it's a motion. You know, they say that, um, we, we only, we only go on memory. We go through mm. life only on memory. And that's like the whole idea of being really present is to really see everything. I mean, you could go into someone's house and not notice that they've moved their furniture around or that their trinkets are changed and until three weeks later, even though you've been over there, because you're just going through the motion of being there. You're not really there because you're so consumed by all the static going on that you, that you're, you're not, you know. Well, automatic pilot is sometimes good because it kind of pushes you through certain situations but i understand what you're saying you know on the whole um right yeah right. If, if we're not aware then we do we miss everything we miss you know the subtle cues we miss out we, we miss, miss the big out stuff. yeah we miss everything equally across the board and um you know and I, I think a lot of times like the conversation that you and i are having when we start to you know really boils down to mindfulness right and and even when you sort of infuse the spiritual in that that is scary to people because they don't want to think about it as, you know, like, oh, fuck, I got to meditate, or do I have to pray, or do I have to do this, or do I, no, it's really just about, like, finding what works for you, and, um, and I think people are scared to try something new and really just slow down, because if we slow down, I think we're taught that the world's just going to fucking pass us by. Well, I think also, though, I think a lot of people are afraid to evolve or grow because it's going to force change, and change is very scary. And I think it also, um, you lose people in that process. And I think people would rather hold on to what is working for them, even though on a different level it's really not working for them, than to actually have to grow and shed mm. what is no longer suitable and well, then they you know they they want change and they want different but yet it's like they're fucking the universe up by saying i want but i don't want i want but i don't want and then so the universe serves them up all this different bullshit yeah. and they're like i didn't really ask for that oh but you did and then you retracted and asked for something different and guess what this is now what it looks like it's you know, funny so that you say that because that was one of the things specifically in this blog post that I said was like, you know, do you have those like days or weeks or even long periods of time where you find yourself saying like, um, I just can't get ahead or if this isn't working or I'm not getting what I want. And so you have to think about how you think. 
I think when I'm trying to manifest something to come, I'll give you an example. So I took this, this crystal healing certification and I'm working on it. So now I already close my eyes and I already see myself working on people. Okay. I'm not there yet, but in my mind, in my soul, I'm already healing people. I'm already doing the work. Like, so that's how I do it for myself is I see myself already in that position. So eventually where my soul is, my physical body will then get there and match up. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. But I think to a lot of people that don't feel comfortable thinking that way, right, will hear that and say like, well, that's a bunch of, you know, like fucking woo-woo, hogwash, right. bullshit, right. whatever. And, you know, but they will subscribe to sort of the the socially acceptable version of that, which is fake it until you make it. I'll tell you something. I once was in a store and this girl came in and she was doing um, uh, the Johnny Cast yoga thing, like become a yoga, whatever, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, so she was going through the whole like school of how to be a yoga teacher. And um, she was in there and she came in in her cute little Lululemon with her sunglasses and her hair and her Lululemon top and, you know, all fapuxed from her yoga class with her leather coat. And um, the girl had candies in the dish and she was like, oh, are these vegan? And I just looked at my friend who I was talking to, like, she's fucking wearing leather and she's asking if these candies are vegan. Like, am, am I in the twilight zone right now? Am I not getting it? Because I'm pretty sure that if you're required to do something wholeheartedly, take the fucking leather coat off or just eat the goddamn candy. I don't know. <laughs> like, it was too much. I seriously, and I see it all the time. I see it all the time. It's like, I want to be this, but yet I still want to be able to do that over there. Do you think it's a conflict? I don't know, man. Just be whatever you want to be. Say, right. Yeah, just right. And be okay with that and not really. Um, right. It is right. really, a, it really does boil down to. And I, you and have I, to be okay with your decisions and what you're doing. And if you're okay with it, then it really doesn't matter what the fuck anybody else thinks. And, you know, that is, it, it sounds really oversimplified oversimplified to say like be who you are be okay with who you are and give zero fucks what anybody else thinks about it it's right right what, what is that saying there's like a pagan saying um uh something like be your own person but do no harm like you know yeah. do you do you yeah. do you however you want to do you just don't harm anybody in the process and then you're good well and it again kind of it's so weird that we're having this conversation today because when I posted about, I posted sort of a snippet of what, because the article was quite a bit longer, I posted it in the Facebook group, and the graphic that I put with it was basically about saying, like, quit fucking lying to yourself. Yeah. You know, and that, and that is what, it, you know, um, at the end of the day is, you know, if we, if we don't think about, you know, how we really view things and we constantly lie to ourselves – when we start to live that lie, we believe that lie, everyone else believes that lie, and then you're stuck in that fucking lie because 
Now, when you want to change it and you want everyone to know the truth, that's where the fear comes in because you have lived a lie. You have told lies. Not that you're really like, you know, out there like scamming and stealing from people, but you have. No, but it could be, you know, it's, it's, it, it's so simple. You know, it's, it's the, the, the vegans who really, you know, go to McDonald's to the drive-thru to get their hamburger because they're not really, you know, vegans, but they want, they're in a vegan relationship with vegan friends and they want everyone to think (laughs) they're vegan as they happy meal their ass back home to pick up their kid and wipe their mouth and get rid of the evidence. You know, it's, it's that, it's that simple. You know, I, I'm very vocal about all the shit that's happened to my in my life, and I don't have a problem with it because that's my truth. And anyone who wants to contradict, that is your truth. You know how I have witnessed my life and how I've done me, and I write about it. That's my truth. I stand behind every single thing I have ever written, said, quoted, whatever. That is my truth, and it's un apologetic and very apologetic that it hurts other people because they can't accept that that is my truth. You know what I mean? In, in the same breath, but I won't stop doing me because of it. And I think that a lot of people are afraid that they are going to hurt or insult, you know, somebody else in the process of them just being able to sit on a couch, undo their pants, let their stomach hang out and be like, this is me and I'm good, you know, (laughs) and I'm, I'm I'm a rock star. (laughs) So I think that what I do is I try to show people that I am a human being. I am flawed. I am beautiful. I am, you know, everything that I say that I am and I'm okay with it. Whether I have haters or whether I have supporters, I'm okay with me. I go to bed every single night from the minute my head, hit, my head hits the pillow, I'm out. I sleep wonderful. That's awesome. So if people want to read the blog and kind of follow, you know, your words, where can they find you online? I am magicalmaven.com. I am Facebook. I think it's Marcy Resnick, a.k.a. Magical Maven. Um, And once I get my crystal thing up and going, I'm going to start doing that. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm a plethora of evolving, oozing, shining beam of light. And I just, you know, I think that, uh, I think that when you're supposed to find me, you find me. Absolutely. And, you know, we found each other through um, a mutual friend. Because I was hoarding in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to play. I want to play. I want to play. <laughs> You're like, I want, I want some of this. Let me in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was great. I so appreciate you. Actually, like, really, let me just say this and then you can cut me off. I thank you so much for playing along with barging in and throwing the front door open on your gig and saying, I just think what you're doing is great. And I'm so glad that I got to sit here today with you and that um, our friend um, did it so I could see what she was doing and be able to follow along because I think it's great. Awesome. Well, yeah. And you know, what's interesting is, you know, I've interviewed people all over the world and you're probably about 40 miles from me. So (laughs) 
<laughs> I always find that, yeah, so um, we've been talking about getting a little girl posse meeting together. So yes, I would love it, and we can yeah. podcast it. Yeah. I think that would be so much fun. Well, maybe that's how we'll start your podcast. How about that? I'm all on, all on. All right. Well, thank you, Marcy, so much for being here. I'm going to put thank you so much to Facebook and Marcy's website in the show notes, and definitely check out her blog. You will. Uh, if you can, you know, find the groove, and I hope you do, um, just some beautiful, beautiful things there. So thanks again, Marcy, and everybody else. We will see you next week for another episode of Uncomfortable Conversations. Thank you, Lisa. My pleasure. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs>